What a rainy day. Well, I guess this, the saying is true, though. We'll see. April showers bring May flowers, so we'll see if it works. So if tomorrow we get flowers, we know it exactly works because April showers brought May flowers. So just to see, maybe not. But uh, it's always exciting to be uh, with you again this morning. Uh, I'm sure you all know that we have been preaching through the life of Christ and now we find ourselves kind of in a mini uh, three-week series within the life of Christ, uh, talking about the Sermon on the Mount. So we're going to be looking, last week Jim kind of gave us an intro into the Beatitudes and set the setting for where we are uh, as he is kind of on the Sea of Galilee on the coastline here, preaching to a crowd of people with his disciples and talking about life in the kingdom. Uh, today we're going to be looking at the end of chapter 5, beginning in verse 13 and kind of going through the end. But before uh, we get there, uh, Christy kind of knew what my message was about, so she kind of gave me some pictures that I thought maybe would help us get an idea of what we're looking at here with the Sermon on the Mount. So here's the first one. It goes like this. If God can make a bug's butt light up, think what he can do for you. So I... I'm not sure who V-E-S is, but I guess they're a very, very wise person. I, I'm not sure, but just think uh, about that with light. So I kind of leave that for how it is. I'm not sure there's much to really say on that. All right, the next one says, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. And it's that gas light that comes on. Frank actually saw this, and he said his is actually on right now. Anybody else is on right now? No, <laughs> Rob said Jessica's. Is it on? And she says it's not on. There you go. So, all right. So let that little light shine. All right. The next one says, when you told them to be salt of the earth, but they chose to be salty to everyone on earth instead. Well, anybody guilty of that one? Instead of being salt, you're going to be salty uh, to people instead. And Jesus is just like, what? So uh, that's not what I meant to tell you guys. So that's kind of a humorous look uh, at, at what we'll be looking at as we look at this idea uh, of, of salt and light and, and what it means in our lives today as we go about just living everyday life. Before we get to our passage for today, let me open us with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity uh, to come on Sunday mornings to sing songs of praise, to, to lift you up uh, in songs of praise and worship and hearing from your word, Lord. We think about those who gather around the world uh, on this day, all with, with one purpose, with one thing in mind of bringing praise and glory to you, Lord. Be with us now as we hear from your word. Be with me as I speak from your word. And may it be uh, the words that you have chosen, that you want uh, us to hear and to be challenged by. Will we pray this in Jesus' name? Amen. So as I said, we're picking up after uh, the Beatitudes here. We're beginning in verse 13. So follow along with me. We're in Matthew uh, chapter 5, uh, beginning in verse 13. It says, You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled upon under people's feet. You are the light of the world. 
A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So here we have Jesus now after discussing the Beatitudes. He gives two more descriptions that, that kind of give us the life that we should be following, the life that we should be living in this world within his kingdom. And they are salt and light. I'm going to spend a lot of our time thinking about what it means to be salt and light. And then at the end, we'll, we'll think about how we live this out in a practical way as we go about our lives. See, at this time, salt was very valuable during this time of Jesus. In fact, it was often that Roman soldiers would even be paid in salt. This is where the Latin phrase salarium comes from. It means salt money. It's where we get this idea of somebody not being worth, not being their worth of salt. So it's salt money. Where does it sound like salarium? What does that sound like? Salary. So that's where we get our idea of a salary through getting this salt money and maybe somebody not being worth their salt. Hopefully everybody in this room is worth their salt to their employer or you're not being good salt and light. So here we go. But salt just wasn't used as a form of payment. There are other uses that I help that think give us a good idea of what we're looking at when we think about salt. The first thing it was, it was it preserved food. Salt can keep things from going bad and decaying. Before the time of refrigeration, anybody remember that time? Don't feel ashamed. No, I'm just kidding. Don't raise your hand. But before the time of refrigeration, salt was often used as a way to keep things from going bad. Salt could either kill unwanted bacteria or it could help remove moisture from food that would help it last longer. So, what does this mean for the church? First thing we see is Jesus says, you are. Jesus isn't really giving his followers an option. It's not something you should be. It's not something you ought to be. It's something you are. If you are following Christ, you are salt. So if salt preserves, how do we as the church, as individuals, preserve in this rotten and corrupted world. You know, we can just watch the news for like five minutes and we see enough of this world and we know just how bad this world can be. So in a sense, as we live out our times in this world, we are protecting this world maybe from its full corruptness. We bring some kind of good into this world as we go about and live our lives as believers. We are this salt to this world. Another use of salt is that it brings flavor. Salt can influence the taste of things. It takes the bland, tasteless things of life and makes it enjoyable. What is usually the first thing you reach for when a plate of french fries is put in front of you? Amen, sister. So also ketchup. But also, it can be salt. And even if it already has salt on it, you're like, you know what? It could really use a little bit more salt. Isn't that right? So I have this great video. We're going to play this video of Kenzie 
at Texas Roadhouse. So here we go. Watch this and her love of salt. There she goes. It's like a little popsicle she's going at here. There she is. She is just licking constantly the salt. Oh, flip it over. Look at that. She gets both sides. I, and I got permission to use that, so just so you know. So there she is. Anybody else? I mean, that's what we love. We love salt. It, it brings us flavor. I'll even say, when I was going to school across the street at the middle school, uh, and it was school pizza, I would put salt on my school pizza. I don't know why. It's weird. I don't do it now, but it was just something I did, uh, putting salt on the pizza over there. But believers are, are to bring flavor into this world. They are to take this bland and tasteless world and make this place a more enjoyable place in Christ. We are to preach the word. We are to take it into the world that is rotten and corrupt and say, this is where life is found. This is how we bring meaning and taste to life through the life that Christ offers to us instead of this rotten and corrupted, tasteless, bland food. Anybody have any other you know, bland or tasteless food in your life? Husbands, don't raise your hands. Just kidding. So we want to be that. We want to be that salt that is added into this flavor of this world so that it can be in a life of Christ. The idea of this really comes down to one word, and it comes down to what is our influence on the world? How are we influencing the culture around us or are we letting the culture influence us? Who, who has more influence upon your life? This culture that we live in puts so much in front of our eyes, in front of our ears, and we need to be careful of what comes into our lives. It could be the movies, the TV shows that we watch, the music that we listen to. The culture wants to influence us in so many ways. Netflix, Amazon Prime, and all these streaming services have great and highly rated shows. But how many of them are really worth our time in watching? The nudity, the language, the themes. Is it all Christ-honoring? Is the stuff that we can proudly proclaim for Christ as we want to be a witness to those? Here's what we say. People will say, well, I'm more mature in my faith. I can handle seeing a naked woman on TV. Really? Jesus wants us to be salt into this world, and if we are corrupting our minds, how are we to go out into this world? And we have a danger here. There is a danger in verse 13. It says, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is good for nothing except to be thrown out and trampled upon under people's feet. Now let me say a word about this verse. People start hearing these words, lost thrown out, and start thinking Jesus is talking about salvation. The context of this verse has nothing to do with this idea of salvation. Instead, remember, it's our lives that we live in this world. So in reality, also, salt doesn't really lose its saltiness. So is Jesus wrong here? No. Obviously, Jesus is never wrong. But let's think about what he is saying. In the context here, Jesus is talking about the influence that Christians have in this world. So one of the first dangers we can see is talking about us being blended together with the culture. And see, here's how this works. At the time of Jesus, a lot of salt was gathered 
uh, around the seashores in different places, and it would often be mixed with either soil or rocks or other impurities. So when it was mixed with all these things, it was useless to them. They, they couldn't use it for the purpose that it has. So what it would end up being would be thrown out onto the, the road, and it would just be trampled over. Or they would even throw it up on their roofs to kind of help harden the, the soil that was on their roofs so that people could walk on the roof. If you remember the story of someone being lowered through the roof, that's how they would harden all these things. So it was useless, useless to them when it would blend with other things. So Jesus is saying here, when we try and mix our culture, when we blend, or to take a word from Scripture, conform to the world, he's saying your, your witness becomes useless. If you're looking like the world, then what are you shining? What light, what salt are you bringing to this world? Instead, Jesus is saying, be transformed. He is saying, be something new. See, the more Christians live like the world, our witness is broken. And yet that is what a lot of churches want to do these days. They want to look more and more like the world to attract people, to grow people, and to grow their numbers. But all it creates is, is a blended mess, and the church becomes useless. So what's another danger? So you can throw your seed, you can throw yourself so far into the world that the world actually absorbs you. And that you get absorbed by the culture. And what happens here is this is where churches go to die when they lose sight of Christ. Now we just came through the 9 a.m. class and we looked at the book of Revelation. And in the book of Revelation, we had one thing against the church of Ephesus that was held against it in the letter to the church at Ephesus. You see, they had lost their first love. They had lost sight of Christ. When you think about blending and being absorbed, you also think about the church in Laodicea. Remember, it talks about how they had two water sources coming into their city, one a hot spring and one a cold spring. And when it came together into the city, it was a lukewarm, useless water for them. It was so absorbed that it became nothing for them to use. When our culture blends or even absorbs the life of a believer or a church, it becomes a dangerous place for us to be. I was reading an article this week uh, about the Anglican Church in England, and it's a group of conservative people wanting to challenge the Anglican Church in England. And they've actually called for the, the Anglican Church to have a, a time of repentance, to, to get back to where their beliefs should have led them. And this is one of the quotes it said. It said, the Archbishop of Canterbury, they're, they're kind of like their pope, if you think about that, and other leaders of the Church of England have betrayed their vows to uphold and defend the truth taught in the Scriptures by publicly supporting same-sex blessings. And so here we see this church that, if you know about the church, has gone way on the far side of being absorbed or even blended with culture. And now somebody is rising up and saying, look, we, we have gone the wrong direction. They talk about how they have lost the, the influence of Scripture. They talk about how culture has influenced their view of Scripture so that they have lost sight of what Scripture really teaches. It, it is a dangerous place to get when we conform to what the world is around us. But there's another danger as well. So culture could be absorbed, it could blend, 
or it could completely separate. It, it could separate itself from this world. You're thinking about people like the Amish or the nuns, the monks, or even there are some Christian churches who will close their doors to the outside world. And this becomes a dangerous place when all we focus on is within ourselves and not our mission to the world around us. We think about the words from John 17. He says, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of this world, just as I am not of this world. Sanctify them in your truth, and your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I send them. And for their sake, I consecrate myself, that you also may be sanctified in truth. This is kind of where we get that classic Christian phrase, right? In the world, but not of the world. We live out daily in this world. We can't avoid the things of this world. But as we live in this world, we are to live differently. Salt makes food taste different. Believers in this world are to make this world look different and to bring the light of Christ, as we will see in a little bit. Some even say that it's not of the world, but sent into the world. All these ideas of this truth of going in and being something different than this world so that light of Christ can shine. And that's where we go to next. As we think about this light, Jesus starts in the same way. He says, you are. Again, it's not a choice. He's saying, you are the light of the world. First, Jesus mentions that a city on a hill cannot be hidden. It stands out above all things. And many people think he's talking about the city of Jerusalem. Because if you know Jerusalem, it's built up on a hill, on a mount. So that as people were walking to it, if you see in the New Testament Gospels, it always talks about going up to Jerusalem. Even if the people were coming south, they always go up towards Jerusalem because it was up on a hill. And I kind of have a picture of this every time I drive to church. So here's a picture It's really from Google, but it's my view as I drive to church. What is sitting up on a hill? Church. Now, I know, like, Frank's going to get annoyed that I say this, but there's no sign on the back that says it's church. He's like, not going to happen. I don't know. But no, you come up, and and I I see this view of our church. And if you want to get technical, it's the daycare on the corner, but it's all the same place, okay? So there is the church sitting up on a hill. So as people come up Ebenezer Road, what do they see? They see us. Now, during the week, I I went up on the roof, as I am known to never do, but I went up on the roof, and I took a picture of the opposite view. So looking out, there it is. I did not fall. Although I will say, if people complain, I did throw a ball off of the roof back to the playground at Kidzone, but I did check to see to make sure there was no kids in the area when I dropped the ball. So... But here here is the view from our city on a hill looking out into the neighborhood behind us. And I actually timed it perfectly because this is when uh, the middle school is getting out. So if you ever want to come to church, don't come to church when the middle school is getting out or you will be in a line of traffic. But here we are. What do we see? People. And as far as I know, within this view... We have one family who comes to church, the Slackers live within this view, and we have one family who who comes to youth group. But other than that, as we look out over this, we see people who need to hear 
about Jesus. And as we are this city on a hill, looking out over this area of Perry Hall, we think about how many houses are back there. There's a huge high school back there. There's a huge middle school across the street. And how are we letting our light shine as we look out? And see, if salt was dealing with our influence, then I think light is dealing with our visibility. Our visibility of going into this world and how we are seen in Christ. See, after talking about the city, Jesus talks about a light in a home. And these houses didn't have electricity. Light often came from a single lamp. A single lamp that would maybe also have maybe a window included or not. But a lamp that was placed up high to give light for those so that they wouldn't stumble around the house. Now, if you've been to our house, you know that we have a wonderful and lovely dog named Mia. And on Thursday, Mia turned 16 years old, so she's moving out. No, I'm just kidding. That's not how, that's not how it works. But on, on Thursday, she turned 16, and she, you know, she's getting a little advanced in years and having a hard time of seeing. She sleeps in bed with, with Christy and I, and Occasionally at night, she'll have to go outside, and the lights are off. And on this one occasion this week, we have a little ottoman at the end of our bed that kind of helps her kind of jump off the bed onto the ottoman and then onto the ground so that she can go out uh, to the outside. On this case, it was dark, and all I hear is her jump, and I hear fumble. She completely misses the ottoman and just goes to the ground. She's okay, she's fine, but often what Christy will do, because I never hear it, I never hear Mia get up often, but whenever she gets up, Christy will often grab her flashlight from her cell phone and give Mia a little bit of light in the darkness so that she can jump off and not injure herself or, or cause me to awaken from my slumber and not, not bother me, because that's what really is appropriate for that. So, in the same way, we, we think about this. We saw that with salt, it was a corrupt and decaying place. And Christians are, are flavoring that saltless place. But the world is also a dark place. It's a common used throughout Scripture for sin. Being in darkness, being called to light. But our light is to shine with the light of Christ into this broken world. And I want to show us now how powerful light can be. Now, don't be afraid of the dark. Don't freak out. But we're going to turn all the lights off. There it goes. Ooh. Pretty dark, huh? Now here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to turn on, I'm going to actually turn even the brightness down on this. There we go. All right. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to turn on my cell phone flashlight, and this gives a little bit of light. People online are probably like, what is happening in this church? But all right, here's what I want you to do now. I want everybody to pull out their cell phones, and I want you to turn on the thing that you usually turn on by mistake. And I want you to turn it on. Oh, and look, at it's perfect. So here we go. Look at this. Look at all. As, as this light shines up, we go from a place of darkness into a place of light. Now, the cool thing, I'm going to go back online and see how much it actually, if it illuminated me on stage, because maybe we'll just stay this, this way for the rest of the sermon. But this is what we are to do. It starts with one light that shines in the darkness. 
Christ came into this light in this broken world. And then his light became other lights. And it spreads and it spreads and it spreads and it gives light to this broken world. I can almost see faces now through all this where I couldn't see in the dark. All right, now I know everybody's if you're panicking, so you can turn the lights back on. But this is what we see. Also, turn your flashlights off. Nobody drain your batteries. Come on. Don't be that person there. So that's what this happens in this world. We look at this and we go through it in this darkness. Everybody's eyes adjusting. My eyes are like trying to like adjust to what's going on now. And these lights will come on in a little bit. They take forever to come back. But just deal, just understand that's what's about to happen here. So it started with that single light, and it was a light that spread. And we look at that light as we want to light up the world for Christ. But Jesus also gives two strong things, two strong phrases behind the mandate that he says for us to be lights. He says the first purpose is that so the world may see our good works. And they need to see what we are doing in this world. They should see the, the good that believers are doing around them so that we stand out and we are not just this secluded little group. But the second phrase is even more important. Sure, we, we give these good things, but what is the purpose? It's not to make us shine. As it says here, the second thing is so we can give glory to our Father who is in heaven. See, here we have the, the right reason behind the things that we do in this world, and it's not about pointing to us. It's about pointing to him, and this is where people use the phrase that we should be a moon. Be a moon to this world because all the moon does is reflect the light from the sun. So as we go through this world, we think about being a moon for Jesus Christ, to go through the things of this world and reflecting the true light in Jesus Christ. All this being considered, there's still a danger to this. There's still something that we can falter from in the same way in which our salt can mix and blend. Our light can also get dimmed or, or not even be exposed at all. You think about the scene you see sometimes, maybe through a cartoon, and there's like little darkness things happening, and somebody's shining a flashlight, and there's a little rustling by a dumpster, and they shine a light, and they usually see like a little raccoon or something, and it goes, what's the raccoon go? <laughs> it's like it's dangerous when you go out and you shine a light because people don't like to have that light shining upon them. But as we go into this world, we need to expose the things. We need to expose and enlighten people of the truth in Jesus Christ. One of the games that we play during youth group is hide-and-seek. And sometimes, every time we turn the lights off, and you saw how dark it gets, it gets even darker even when it's even dark outside. I did put the, that's why everybody now understands why the windows are taped off. It's not like some weird reason uh, happening here, but just to make it dark in here. But oftentimes, that seeker has to wander through, and sometimes I'll make it tough and say, no flashlight. And it's almost impossible. But they, then they have that flashlight, and they go and they find somebody, and what do they say? They say, I found you. So as we go out into the darkness and shining our light and seeking those who are lost, and we say, I found you. Well, let me tell you about Jesus Christ. The world wants to hide in their sins, but we need to bring the light of our Father who is in heaven into this world. See, we can blend or we can be absorbed or we can separate from culture, but there is that danger of being dimmed or even covered. And really, when you get into the scriptures, being light was not a new concept. 
Israel was supposed to be a light to the nations around them. And they were supposed to show God to those who were around them by following his commands, by doing what he said, so that those people would see them and say, this is the God, this is the true God, this is who I want to serve. But instead we know that Israel failed in that. They failed to be that light to the nations around them. They didn't fulfill that, and God would then punish them and take them out of their land for not being the witness that they were supposed to be. The nations looked at Israel, and they didn't see the one true God. Do people see God when they look at us? Israel's light didn't shine, but does our light shine before men? No one should be surprised when they find out you are a Christian. If you tell somebody you are a Christian, and they're like, Oh, that might not be a good thing. Your salt and your light should shine to all those who are around you. Being salt and light is the influence and visibility that we have in this world. But then there becomes the real question of what does this look like in our lives as we go about it in a practical way? And before we get there, Jesus kind of gives a brief introduction to the law that he's about to dive into. Jesus is going to talk about how he didn't come to get rid of the law, that he came to fulfill the law. And his whole point in what he's saying is, look, every law points to me. I fulfill the law. It's all about me. There's not a a dot or iota. Even the smallest portion of the Hebrew language will not pass away because I am its fulfillment. So, Even he says that we need, though, a righteousness like the Pharisees. And we're like, we're saying, wait a second, wait a second. You're saying if we follow, if we can be as righteous as the Pharisees, it's not even more we can get into heaven? And that's not what he's saying. He's saying you do need a righteousness that is better than the Pharisees, but that righteousness isn't going to come from following the law, it's going to come from me. It's going to come from Christ. I am going to give you the true righteousness that you need to go about living in this world. And now Jesus is going to come and and give us some examples for how we are to live in this world. And the first one he says, he says, let's think about how we can be salt and light to this world in our anger. Jesus is going to say, beginning in verse 21, he's going to say, you have heard it was said. And he's going to say this six times in here because Think about this. In this time, not everybody had a scroll in their house. The way they heard the scriptures was to come to the synagogue, go to the temple, and hear what the priest was saying. So here they are. He's saying, look, this is what you have heard from your leaders. So he says, look, you shall not murder. You've heard that. But he says, look, he says it's deeper than that. See, what they thought was... They could be good salt and light. They could be good representatives for God if they just didn't physically kill somebody. Now, for 98% of this world, that's probably not an option. If it is a problem for you, don't let me know about it. But he's saying, look, just because you haven't physically killed somebody doesn't mean you're living in this world you ought to live. He says it's a deeper issue than that. It's how you think about people. The thoughts that race through your mind. He even goes on and says, look, 
It's about how you even treat people within a church. He says, look, if you're having anger or upset with people in the church, it upsets your worship. He says, go and, and think deeper upon these things. He says, look, you want to be salt and light, handle your anger correctly. Think about how many times we have been poor witnesses because of our anger in Christ. We've all probably had those opportunities where, where it slips. But here's the key. Even in the moments where it slips, we can still be a good witness in the way we handle forgiveness and asking and saying, look, I'm sorry for the way I acted in that case. All of it getting an opportunity to be salt and light in this world as we handle our anger. The next thing he's going to talk about is what I'm going to kind of call relationships. Because here it is again. He's going to say, look, you think you're following the law if you're just not physically sleeping with somebody else. But he's going to say, look, if you want to be salt and light in this world, adultery is deeper than that. It's what you look at. It's where you stare. It's where your heart lies within your walk. And he goes through these in Matthew chapter 5. He says, look, it's better for you to, whatever is causing you to stumble is just to cut it off. Now, does he really want us to, to cut out our eyes and, and cut off our hands and, and do whatever it takes to get rid of these things? No, but he's saying you need to not conform to the world around you. Don't blend with, with the culture that you are involved in and ruin the salt and light that you are to be to this world. He says, think about your heart. All these items he's thinking about here. It is deeper than just this physical act. You see, our faith is not a private faith. It is lived out in this world. The things that we do in secret are the things that we live out through experience with people. Now, as we look at this passage where it talks about some versions do say looking, as you look at a woman. But the real idea here is if we, if we couldn't look at anything, we'd be walking around with blinders and bumping into things. The passage behind us is really talking about lustful looking, the staring at things, and what you're putting into your mind as you go through this and as you worry about being the salt and light that we are called to be. Now, he also goes on, and he talks about not only our anger and our relationships, but he talks about what we say. And he talks about really being truthful in the things that you say. He says, don't just take an oath. How many people have heard people say, oh, I, I swear to God that this is true? It's something that we, you'll probably hear 10 times a day in all these things. And he's saying, look, don't swear by me or don't even swear by anything else in heaven. He's saying, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Just be a reliable person. Put meaning behind the things that you say. Don't be two-faced as you go about in this world. Think about the impact your words will have on one another. And that's where he goes next as he's talking about how we think toward others as we live as salt and light in this world. It says, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, in verse 38. And we think about that, and we think about payment. We think about getting somebody. But the true meaning behind it is putting a limitation on judgment. 
See, in the day, somebody would steal an apple, and they would say, kill him. And like, whoa, whoa, that's, that's not the appropriate crime for, for somebody taking an apple. So he's saying, let it be fair in judgment. Let these things happen. Be fair in, in how you handle people. He says, if somebody slaps you, turn on the other cheek. He says, if, verse 41, if somebody forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. And, and this was a practice in, in the Roman culture. The soldiers, as they were marching and going between cities, had the, the, the right to let, to, well, not right, to make a, a citizen carry their items for one mile. So if the soldier wanted a break, he could pull somebody and say, you know what, you're carrying my stuff for a mile. Jesus says, you know what, instead of that mile, go two miles with that person. Go about and be a salt and a light in how you care for others in this world. All this going through our lives. And then he goes on and he says, you shall love your enemy. You have heard it said, you shall love your enemy and hate. Wait, love your neighbor, hate your enemy. In verse 43. And he's saying, look, if you want to be salt and light, again, it's deeper than that. You are to love everybody. He says, look, God sends the rain. We got rain. Was there only a rain today over those people who were evil? No, everybody. Wouldn't that look crazy if only good people had sunshine all the time and then all the bad people just had rain over their clouds all day long? That would be crazy. God says, look, I send my sunshine to everyone. I send my rain upon everybody. He says, go through these things and have that same attitude. Think about the way God provides and then love everybody in the way that I love. He says, you want to be salt and light? You live this way in the world. You go about this way in your jobs. You go about this way in your interactions with the world around us. And this is what we think about. As we go through this Sermon on the Mount, we think about all these ways to be salt and light to this world whether it's in our anger and how we handle our emotions, how we handle our relationships with each other, our marriage relationships in all these ways, as they can be a, a light that shines into this community. We think about the things and the words that we say and how that can let our light shine into a community. And we think about the way we can love people and not hate people and show that love for Christ. I have a long section here that I want to read. And it's Paul's words to the Ephesians in chapter 5. And I think it really sums up a lot of the things that we've been saying of how we are to live in this world. So here we go. It's going to be on the screens. And think about all the things that we have heard of being salt and of being light, of imitating, of following Christ in this world. Here's what he says. Paul says, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity and covetedness must be not even named among you, have nothing to do with this, as it is proper among the saints. Let there be no filthiness, no foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral, immoral and impure or who is covetous, that is, an idolater, 
has no inheritance of the kingdom of Christ and God. Remember, he's talking about here in the Sermon on the Mount of living a life in the kingdom of God. He says, let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Verse 7, he says, therefore, do not become partners with them. For at a time you were in darkness, but now you are in light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. For the fruit of the light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. Go in as light and expose the deeds of this world. Verse 12. For it is shameful even to speak of these things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that is visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine upon you. Then it gets very practical again, more in verse 15. It says, Look carefully then how you walk. Watch how you go about in this world. Think about how you see this culture and how you go about it. It says in verse 15, continuing, not as unwise, but as wise. And making the best use of time. Paul's there again, like, do you make the best use of your time that you have? And he says, why? He says, because the days are evil, to end verse 16. He says, therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the, Lord of, the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. And then he gets into how we fellowship with each other, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord within your heart, giving thanks always for everything to God, for the Father in heaven, our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to him one another out of reverence for Christ. It's a long list as you go through there in Ephesians of being this, and not being this, walking in light, not walking in darkness, not letting the, this world corrupt you, instead being the thing that is different, being the salt, being the light into this world so that we bring forth Christ. Worship team, you can make your way back on stage as we get ready to close. And I, I could think of no better way as I was sitting and thinking about how to end this message and thinking about Paul's words to the Romans. Because if we are to be the light of this world, as Jesus says here, we're the light to the world, not to heaven. We are here working, and we have to go out into the world. And this is what Paul says beginning in verse 13. He says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him who they have not believed? How are they to believe in him in whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? How are we to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. We go into this world as salt and light, preaching the word of Christ, living it out practically in our lives, in the way we handle anger, in the way we handle the things that we say, in the way that we handle the relationships that we have with people, all for a call to be light. But again, not for our own purposes, but instead we do these things 
so that God gets the praise, so that they can understand the salvation and all that God has written for them in their lives. And we are that beautiful feet, the feet that say Jesus died for your sins and he rose again in victory over sin. And it is by those who believe and have faith in him that we find our trust and our, our eternal reward in heaven. Let's pray as we close and sing a song. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your words to us here in the book of Matthew, a, a calling for our lives to be salt and light, to, to go out into this world and let ourselves shine, to bring taste into a flavorless world. Lord, we praise you when we worship you and we thank you for all that you've given to us. And we pray this in Jesus' name.